Good morning. Did you guys get a chance to read this week? Chapter 12, A Tender Friend. I hope you did. Um, one of the things that I discovered reading this week is this is a very difficult lesson. Um, and I think it's because I kind of went, took it a little further than uh, Dane Ortland took it. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. So uh, first, a book plug. Um, there's a book out on the book table called None Greater by Matthew Barrett. Um, it's on the attributes of God. And if you're wanting something that um, will really help you to understand God's attributes in a way that's not going to be seriously confusing or you feel like you're, you're drowning in doctrine, this is a great book to use. Um, he does a great job of making it understandable. So this is out on the book table. If you, see, if you want it, please grab it. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that book. And just another plug for the, the professor who teaches the Good Western and Josiah's got him for his theology class this semester. So that kind of makes you feel like you're reading. For us, as parents having someone way out there, read the book that our son's professor wrote. So that's kind of cool. So I'm going to start today um, with a, a Valley of Vision, um, the way I've been starting when I teach Sunday school. Um, and, and maybe some of you wonder why. And I've been spending time with these Puritan prayers, and, and it, it kind of it says things that I know I'm feeling, but can't put the words into. So for me, a lot of this is exactly how I felt about things, but just haven't been able to put it into words. So this has been a, this has been a great asset to have if you haven't gotten your hands on one. It's called the Valley of Vision. Um, and then I'll pray and get us started for today. Need of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I am blind. Be thou my light. I am ignorant. Be thou my wisdom. I am self-willed. Be thou my mind. Open my ear to grasp quickly your spirit's voice and delightfully run after his beckoning hand Melt my conscience so that no hardness remains. Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. When Satan approaches, may I flee to your wounds and there cease to tremble at all alarms. Be my good shepherd to lead me into the green pastures of your word. Cause me to lie down beside the rivers of its comforts. Fill me with peace that no disquieting worldly gale may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. Your cross was upraised to be my refuge. Your blood streamed forth to wash me clean. Your death occurred to give me a surety. Your name is my property to save me. By you, all heaven is poured into my heart. But it is too narrow to comprehend thy love. I was a stranger, an outcast, a slave, a rebel. But your cross has brought me near, has softened my heart has made me your father's child, has admitted me to your family, has made me joint heir with yourself. Oh, that I may love you as you love me, that I may walk worthy of you, my Lord, that I may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. May I always see your beauty with the clear eye of faith and feel the power of your spirit in my heart. For unless... He moves mightily in me. No inward fire 
will be kindled. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word that helps us to understand these things and to know these things. Father, we thank you for the friend who Christ is. Make us more aware of that and more knowledgeable of that as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So as with any chapter, when you're reading either in the Bible or you're reading a book, a random book that you've picked up or an article that you've picked up, um, you've heard me say this a number of times through these lessons, is we need to define our terms. So the first term we need to define today, the chapter is called uh, a tender friend. Gentle and lowly, chapter 12, a tender friend. So let's define our terms. What is a friend? Now, I asked Pam this question yesterday, and she gave me an answer I was not anticipating, which is one of the reasons I like asking her questions, is because she helps me to see things that I wasn't thinking about. So her comment yesterday was, well, which friend are you talking about? (laughs) So I started trying to make my list of the friends that we have, right? So um, we've got our, um, our church friends, and we've got our work friends, and, and we've got our close friends, and i got my best friends, and i got my frenemies, right? Friends who are enemies, right? So what are you talking about? Well, I'm not talking about that, okay? What I'm talking about, what makes you a good friend? Not a bad friend. Um, one of the things I have a conversation with my students on a regular basis um, is you're always a leader. It's a question of whether you're a good one or you're a bad one. So as a believer, you're always a friend. You're either a good one or you're a bad one. So what is it that makes a good friend? Well, let me kind of narrow this down for you. <clears throat> We're not going to talk about what Scripture says yet because that's really what the entire lesson's about. Um, so if we're talking to the world, what would the world say makes a good friend? Intolerable. Tolerable? They got your back. Got your back. Fun. What's that? Fun. Fun, yeah. If you're boring, I want no part of you. Mm. What's in it for me? Anything else? Kind of a short list, right? Helpful. Some people. You need something, call your friend with a truck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but if you got a truck, I'm busy that day. Right? I need a friend with a truck, but if I have a truck, then sometimes the friend thing kind of, right? So uh, I'm going to work through the three questions from the study guide, um, and then we're going to flesh out a little bit from there. So the first question, uh, if you have the study guide, it's page 36 and 37. Question eight says, do you find it instinctively irreverent to speak of Christ as our friend? What in your life experience informs your answer? So do you find it instinctively irreverent to speak of Christ as your friend? I think it depends on what you do with your friends. Like what's your relationship with your friends? If you are a 
party with your friends and party is not something that you want to speak about in Sunday school, then it might be irreverent to refer to Christ as a friend. I'm going to come back to that. I don't think so. I've been taught since I can remember that Christ is my friend. It's like what I tried to explain to my children when they were younger <clears throat> about being a mother. I'll be the best friend you've ever had here, but I'm not your buddy. Does that mean? Mm-hmm. My gut instinct is a lack of reverence. Maybe that's why I had qualms with the title of the book when I was like first getting it and I wanted, you know, wanted to. Uh, a view of Christ that's holy and righteous and obviously he is also lowly and meek. Yeah, I think I've, I've struggled, like Caleb said, of just not wanting to go to the other side of just being like flippant with Jesus. Yeah. Like he's my pal, he's my buddy, he's my friend. Wanting to honor him. And so, yeah. And we see that in society, right? Jesus is my buddy. He's my friend, right? He loves me. And I can do whatever I want because he loves me. Right? The That's the direction they go. The Bible says that he's a friend that sticks closest to a, closer to a brother. So the now quit stealing my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> so the definition of friend when it comes to Christ is different than how we view mm. friendship. That's good. Let me ask you something. What did he use as an example for what he's talking about um, it, it pointed to page 113. You find it instinctively irreverent to speak of Christ as our friend. What did he tie that to? Okay, let me ask, not to embarrass anybody, okay? But if you didn't read this chapter, you're not going to have a clue what I'm talking about, okay? So did anybody read the chapter? Okay, so page 113, what, what, what reference did he use? What example did he use when he was talking about friendship that makes us uncomfortable with it? Male. Say it again. Male friendships. Male friendships, right, men. Okay, and, and I'm going to read some of this to you. The author ties this to the fact that we have, and his words, he's just excellent with words, lamentably impoverished the category of friendship between humans, especially among men. He quotes Richard. Um, I said, <laughs> I love spell check. Um, it changes my words. It's not Richard Goober. It's Richard Godbeer. Um, <laughs> Richard Godbeer's book, which um, I was listening to a podcast on friendship this week, and they actually, somebody completely not associated with this book and they referenced this book. So, of course, when I read three different places referencing the same book, I have to order that book, so it's coming this week. Um, this guy's not a believer. Richard Godbeer is not a believer. Okay? And he says, uh, in The Overflowing of Friendship, Love Between Men and the Creation of the American Republic, Male friendship has been diluted in the present time when compared to the richness of healthy, non-erotic affection between men in colonial America. This is where he went with this. Okay? And that sounds like a holy reason. Well, we add to that. 
society's preoccupation with the sin of homosexuality and everything connected to that. Right? So if you add that piece to what he's saying, now you're going, you start talking about love, you start talking about God Christ being my friend, and you start to get this holy flinch going, right? This makes me uncomfortable. And that holy flinch, that gives us a good reason to question this, right? That kind of, this is not comfortable. But, and this goes back to where you went. Is it deeper than that? I don't, I don't disagree with what he's saying, but I think it goes deeper than that. Let's make this real, and I want you to take this personally. Think in your mind, in the honest recesses of your mind. Have I been a good friend to fill in the blank? Now, I'm going to fill it in for you. Uh, have I been a good friend to Scott Blackwood? Have I been a good friend to Sean Colney? Have I been a good friend to Trudy? Have I been a good friend to Rosalie? Have I been a good friend to Tommy? This gets personal, folks. Because if you're going to be honest, you can't say that I've been a good friend to all of these people. Now, you might have been a good friend to one or two, but every time there's a need, do you step up? Every time they say, you say, how are they doing? They're like, oh, okay. Do you stop? Or just let it go? Now, when he says Christ is our friend, now why are you uncomfortable? You're comparing him to ourselves the way we act. If Christ is a friend, and I know what kind of friend I am, I'm not comfortable with that. Good. You shouldn't be comfortable with that. Because who Christ is as a friend is very different than who we are as friends. So, question nine. In what ways is Jesus the perfect friend, a better friend than any human could ever be? He gives, I went through the chapter a little bit. He, he gives three or four, three or four specific things. And then, of course, we can flesh this out. We've got, we've got uh, three years of ministry of Christ on earth that's mentioned in four different books of the New Testament, so we could probably find more than these four. But he gives us four specifically. I want to talk about these four. The first one is um, he's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. And that's a phrase that kind of rolls off the tongue of Christians. Jesus is the friend of sinners. But do you understand the phrase that Jesus is the friend of, of sinners? Um, Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus is accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is not intended as a compliment. In Jewish society, this was considered the ultimate offense to tell somebody that they're a friend of a tax collector. And what's more interesting, in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, you discover that Christ's enemies... Uh, the book calls them antagonists. Um, 
Christ's enemies knew who Christ was better than his own disciples did. We don't stone you for your good works. We stone you because you make yourself to be God. Next time somebody says to you, Jesus never claimed to be God, you go back and read the New Testament. Because the Pharisees got the point that he was claiming to be God. So they're saying this guy who claims to be God is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, Luke 15, 1, um, Matthew 19, Matthew 10, Matthew, Luke 5, 27, talks about two specific tax collectors by name. Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? Was a tax collector. And... I, this, is, this has been so hard because as I go through this, the more things that I see, the more things I look at Jesus' response to Zacchaeus, Jesus' response to Matthew, and, and you're going, this just shows his heart to chase people down. Our sins draw us to him. Matthew, the worst of the worst, Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst as far as Israel, uh, Israel society, and Zacchaeus is in the tree. He just wants to see Jesus. And Jesus walks to the bottom tree and says, let's go to your house. I want some food. What? If you haven't seen The Chosen, you've got to watch episode eight, season one. The Calling of Matthew. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Jesus is walking through his office, his tax collecting office is there. He's collecting taxes. His Roman guard is standing next to him. And Jesus stops, almost as if it's an afterthought, which we know it wasn't. Turns, looks right at Matthew and says, follow me. He goes, me? You, follow me. Locks up the door, hands his key, his signet ring to the Roman centurion, and goes. Tax collector. In the middle of collecting taxes. Friend of sinners. And one that he doesn't even mention in the book. Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 8. Mary Magdalene, whom he cast seven demons out of. I don't care. There's Some people argue whether or not she was really a prostitute or not, but it don't matter. you got seven demons, you're messed up. And you know people around her knew that she had seven demons, or at least it had one. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. Two, Christ is the friend who always read rather Christ is the friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. And and I, I'm bringing in um, Proverbs here. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend. Loves at all times. Uh, are you uncomfortable? I know I was. Because I know a lot of people, a lot of situations that I didn't love them like I should have. What about Jesus? The lepers. Their most downcast moment. Not only heals them, but before he heals them, reaches out. 
Proverbs 18.24, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Christ ever wound one of his friends? I'm sorry, you tell your pinnacle of the 12 disciples, get behind me, Satan? That's a wound, folks. The last thing he's wanting to be called by his Lord and Rabbi is Satan. Proverbs 27, 9. Counsel from the soul is sweet to his friend. You ever sat with somebody who you didn't realize at the time was counseling you? You were just talking through the things that we're struggling with, difficulties you're having, people that are driving you nuts. The words that they give you are like somebody who's taken a cool aloe gel and covered your sunburn with it. Takes the sting out. Number three, Christ's friendships have no limits. Think about your friendships. Is there a limit? Is there a point when you're like, I'm done? Not with Christ. There's no limits there. He's never done with you. Four, a true friend pursues you. I thought this was really interesting. A true friend pursues you, and he allows you to pursue him. And he opens himself up to you without holding anything back. Doesn't that sound like Christ? You didn't come to me, I called you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He holds nothing back. Now, what's interesting here is that the author jumps to John chapter 15. And this is, there's an important piece here, and it it ties in... um, with what Kristen was saying um, at the beginning about we tend to sway one way too far or the other too far when we start talking about God's justice, we start talking about God's love and his friendship. We, t- we, we have a tendency to swing one way or the other. And, and I feel like he, f- he failed to mention something important. Now, he's right. John chapter 15, verse 15 He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So Christ has called us friends. But I think we've missed something important. Step back to verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. Now, Be careful. This is not saying that your obedience is what saves you. You're you're obedient, and because you're obedient, I'm going to save you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you are truly my friend, you're obeying me. Similar to 1 John, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What's the implicit threat here? If you're not obeying me, 
You're not my friend. Greg, can I say something real quick? Parentheses. This right here is the sermon topic for today. From a different angle. How can God accept our works? And I didn't talk to him at all this week. Amazing how God just weaves this stuff together. So this is an important facet of understanding Christ's friendship to us is our obedience is what shows that we are his friend. You can't lose that piece. But this is the other thing that I think people tend to skip over because, first of all, the word slave makes us uncomfortable, especially in our current environment. Verse 15 says, No longer do I call you slaves. Does he say no longer you are a slave? Is that what he said? No, he says no longer I call you slaves. Because slaves, or or employees, let's make it personal and real to what's going on today, don't always know the reasons why the master has told them to do what they're to do. But you still got to do it. However, when you're a friend who's also a slave, he's not going to call you a slave anymore. He calls you my friend because, end of verse 15, all the things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Not some. All. People kind of balk at this word slave. Uh, Romans 6. Do you not know that when you are presenting yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over and have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So our slavery hasn't changed who we've been slave to is who and what's changed. We've been sl- we were slave to a cruel master, slave to sin. Now we're slaves to the right- to righteousness. We're slaves to God, who lovingly chases us, who is gentle and lowly, and only those that do not come are the ones that deal with his chastisement, who are not his friends. But we who come are called his friend. So that leads us to the to tenth question. What does it mean that Jesus is your companion? What's the difference between um, a friend and a companion? Can we have a companion who's not a friend? We can. It's not an enjoyable journey, is it? Those of you who work with people you don't get along with and you have to go on business trips, you understand that. <coughs> But we're talking about a friend who is a companion. Christ is our friend who is our companion. Someone who goes on a journey with us. What I'm trying to say in this chapter is that the heart of Christ not only heals our feelings of rejection with his embrace, his embrace, take my yoke on you. And not only corrects our sense of harshness with a view of his gentleness, I'm 
gentle and lowly of heart. Not only changes our assumptions with his aloofness into the awareness of his sympathy with us, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you see Matthew just Matthew 11 just flooding this chapter? But it also heals our aloneness with his companionship. He, he is our companion. So this brings us back to where we started today. The, the first paragraph on, chat, on page 120, his closing, I, I love the fact I talked to Pam about this before this started today. The, the thing about this chapter is if you're somebody who is beaten for time, um, read the last page of every chapter. If you can't read anything else, read the last page. Because the man does a phenomenal job of summarizing everything he said in the last two paragraphs of every chapter. It would be cruel to suggest that human friendship is irrelevant once one has been befriended by Christ. God made us for fellowship, for union of heart with other people. Everyone gets lonely, including introverts. So that brings us back to where we started today. We talked about Christ being a friend, and, and as Mary said, we tend not to struggle with that as much once we get past the idea of Christ being a friend like us and start to see his being a friend as different from ours. We don't struggle with Christ being our friend if we have that understanding. But how does this apply to today? How does this apply to uh, 9.40 to 10 o'clock when you walk out into that auditorium? How does this apply to tomorrow or Wednesday or Friday or Monday or Tuesday? So this is what I want you to do. I'm going to fly through the rest of this list. And if you're wanting um, more specifics on this, these notes are on the Sunday School page on the website. Matthew 5.48, Christ tells us that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So you know what? You're not satisfied with the type of friend you're being good because you're called to be perfect. Ephesians 4.15 As a result sorry as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine but speaking the truth in love here it is we are to grow up in all aspects of into him who is the head even Christ so one aspect of who Christ is is Christ is a friend, and we need to grow up in our friendships. This has been hard for me. Because when I go through this list, I'm going to be giving you things that I'm seeing, here I'm failing, here I'm failing, here I'm failing, here I'm failing. And if you end up in the same place that I'm at going through this list, this is what I have to ask you to do. Pick one way that I'm about to go through. Pick one way that in the next seven days you can be a friend more like Christ. Because the best friend you can be is a friend who is like Christ. 
Now, I got this from an uh, um, article on the ACBC website called Flourishing Friendship. Four things. And I've, I've tied into this um, pluses, what, what it looks like to be a friend like Christ, or deltas, negatives of how we do a bad job of doing this. So there's going to be a lot here interspersed. Number one, Jesus draws near to us not because we deserve his love, but because he is loving. Jesus is a friend to us not because we deserve his love, but because he is loving. John 1.14, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. What does that look like? Well, what doesn't it look like? James 3.16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Are you always competing or comparing yourself to somebody else? First Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Ouch. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Doesn't brag. Not arrogant. Doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. Doesn't take into account wrong suffered. Are you a scorekeeper? Well, if they hadn't done this. Acts 20.35. It talks about don't do for other people expecting them to do for you. Number two, Jesus models consistent companionship in his earthly ministry. Matthew 4, 18 to 22 is the story of him. Remember, a friend is somebody who, um, we'll get to this in a second, a friend is somebody who, who comes to you or allows you to come to them. Jesus went to Peter and, and Andrew in their boat and called them and then stayed with them for three years. Okay? Take the initiative. Sometimes you have to go chase them down. Sometimes they don't return the phone call. Sometimes they don't return the email. Sometimes they don't comment to your text message. Sometimes you have to chase them down. Christ did. Ministering together. Looking for opportunities to do stuff together. Husbands, if you want to strengthen your friendship with your wife, find something that you can do together to minister to somebody else. Be intentional in who you choose. Well, if it happens, it won't happen. And if it happens, it happens. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen. You have to intentionally choose to make it happen. Christ was intentional. He went after Matthew. He went after Peter and Andrew. Exercise wisdom in knowing how many people you can realistically be close to. Jesus preached to the crowd. 
but he was dedicated to 12. And he was even more dedicated to three. Now, were there others that floated around that? Sure. The Marys, there's three or four of them that as you read the Gospels are constantly with the disciples. But Jesus didn't pull them into that 12. He was constantly with that 12. Uh, the, the two men after Judas uh, died, the two men that were, were, were picked from to replace him were with us since the beginning. So there's people that are always going to be on the periphery that are always there. But be intentional and be wise in your choices of who is closest to you. Proverbs 19, 1 Corinthians, um, Proverbs 19, 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook a transgression. Don't be easily offended. And I'm going to be honest, this has been difficult for me because it seems like I've got a checklist going, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. Don't be easily offended. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Withdrawing when you're hurt. Somebody hurt your feelings? Well, I'm done with that. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of man's hearts. Are you judging people's intentions even though you don't know them? Giving people the benefit of the doubt. Avoiding anger, James 1, 19 and 20. Be quick to hear, slow to speak slow to become angry because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Jesus gives himself in love and service to others. And, and there's a lot here. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment. I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look on your own personal interests, but look also for the interests of others. Now, one of the other verses that kind of jumped out at me from this was 1 John 3.16. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's one of the favorite verses to be quoted, isn't it? So let me, um, let me kind of pull this down a little bit to make it more real for you because we all love to say that i'll give my life for that person i would i would um are you willing to lay down your phone your ipad or your computer for that other person what about your job now the bible's clear if you don't work you shouldn't eat i'm not saying give up your job entirely but is your job eating up time that you could be using to spend with your wife your husband, your children, your home group members. You willing to give that up? 
lay down that for the lives of your brethren? What about your workout routine? Your sports that you're involved in. Your love of food. Your personal comfort. Man, I just love sitting on the couch on Wednesday night. I told you this was going to be personal. And then Jesus focuses on the sanctification of his disciples. This is, this is the final result, folks. What's the whole point of all of this? It's so that you become more like Christ. Your goal in your friendships is to make them more like Christ. And you know what? And you trying to help them become more like Christ, guess, guess what you also get to be more like Christ? John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Christ prays for his disciples. Here, let me, we, we, we use that word disciple and we tend to kind of disconnect from it. Christ prays for his friends. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Proverbs 27, Proverbs 28, Proverbs 15. Please don't take this whole list and say, okay, I've got to fix all of these things. Pick one that you can intentionally first pray, Lord, help me to be a better friend to this person this week this way. If you make two or three or four, you're going to fail at all of them. Set a goal, one. Pray about it and then do it. We have to be more like Christ. And Christ was the ultimate friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your life, your 33 years on earth. Thank you for the three years that's recorded for us so we can see all the different ways that you are a friend to the sick, to the hurting, to the ignorant, to the arrogant, to the prideful. Father, make us more like Christ. Help us to be a friend that's more like Christ. Father, I pray for John as he gets ready to present your word for us today. I pray that you will speak through him loud and clear. Open our hearts to what he is saying today and help us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen.